Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Joining me today, as always, is Joe Healy. It is March 31st, and yesterday the NCAA Division I Council issued a, uh, a landmark decision, I guess you could say, giving spring sports athletes, all spring sports athletes, a year of eligibility back as a result of the 2020 season being canceled less than a third of the way into the schedule due to the novel coronavirus pandemic. This is obviously very significant news. It is going to affect college baseball for the next several years, not just a one-year thing. So we have a lot to discuss on the matter. So so Joe and I are, are coming to you today, and that is going to be really the sole focus of, of this podcast is trying to break down what exactly that ruling means and what it means for college baseball. Uh, Joe, before we jump into that, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a pretty significant day yesterday. Just what, uh, what were your thoughts, um, you know, as, as the, the result of the council vote came out a little after 6 PM Eastern? Yeah, I guess I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I guess I assumed, as so often happens with these things, we get um, kind of a, a half measure um, or or something that kind of didn't go all the way to what we, and that's the, the royal we, kind of thought was the right thing to have happen. So I, I definitely was a little bit surprised that, that they went with full eligibility relief for everyone who was affected here. And, and of course, we'll get into the ramifications of that, and there are many. Uh, but uh, I just felt like it's... You know, there were there were logistical and financial arguments to be made about why it could have been done some other way. Uh, but certainly this feels like the fairest thing for the most amount of people. And so therefore, I think it was um, in, in that way, it, it felt like the most right thing to do in a situation where there weren't any perfect answers. Yeah, I think that's important to, to recognize here is that there is no perfect answer uh, on this at all. Um, that said, I, I do think that this was the way to do it and the way to do it uh, right by, by the kids as, as much as you could. You know, the if a kid in baseball, I, I don't want to speak to the other sports because I don't know the exact um, measures of where their seasons were and relative to how many competitions they'd had and everything. But in baseball, 
if a kid had gone down on March 12th, the day that the NCAA canceled the College World Series, if, if any player in the country had gone down with a season-ended injury, he would have been eligible for a medical redshirt. Instead, what happened was the entire country went down for the season. And so effectively, I have no problem at that point with granting them all medical redshirts. Uh, you know, that's not exactly what this is because they still have access to, to medical redshirts. But if, if you have a measure in place that says, well, even if you've played every game of your season up until this point when you become physically incapable of continuing your season, like we have a process for giving you that season back. Like, I think that, you know, it's only right that in this case, that measure get applied. And I am very, you know, understanding of, you know, the binds that this can can create for, for certain parties. Uh, I, I definitely understand how much money schools have on the line here. There was a USA Today study before the, the vote, I believe it was last week, that estimated that Power 5 schools would you know, incur costs of between $500,000 and $900,000 just to give seniors a year back. Obviously, those costs greatly increase if you're giving everyone a year back, as, as happened, and that even smaller schools uh, you know, could incur costs of up to $400,000 if they had a robust spring sports uh, offering. And I saw a coach from a mid to low major last night say that his back of the envelope math was that it was probably $400,000 for, for their university if they were going to, to, to do this. So it's not an insignificant amount of money at all. Now, I... I am also a little unsympathetic to schools in, in this regard because, I mean, I don't know the full ins and outs of the accounting procedures of schools, and there are definitely some physical things that, that you have to pay for, but the bulk of that money is obviously scholarship money, and no one's endowment I'm sure did particularly well as the stock stock market has not done particularly well over the last few weeks, but they all have the money to pay for, you know, some more scholarships and, you know, not really have it hurt them all that much. I, I, I don't really feel that argument holds a ton of, of weight to me personally. Uh, there are other costs associated with having kids on campus that are more than just like tuition waivers. But just from that standpoint, you know, I, 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 I'm feeling for you, but I'm not quite reaching you as, as my father would say. And so, you know, it's a, uh, it, it is the, a, a big cost for athletic departments. However, the, this whole thing taken, taken broadly, and it comes at a time of great financial uncertainty, both because of what's been happening in the stock market and because the NCAA decreased their um, revenue uh, that they were going to pass on to schools from a budgeted $600 million uh, down to something like, I think it's 225 now. And, you know, that, that across the country, that that's what they're distributing to, to the schools now. So that's a huge cut that is really important to a lot of athletic departments that 
you know, that money that they were expecting from the NCAA just is not going to be as big now. And that that's a result of the NCAA having to cancel both their winter and spring sports uh, championships. Obviously the primary driver of that is, is the men's basketball tournament, but the, the, as we often know, the, the college world series and, and the baseball tournament do make money as well. So it was more than just canceling the men's tournament that, is really hitting the NCAA and, and those distribution figures. And then there's also a huge concern right now about what college football will look like this fall. Will there be fans? Will there not be fans? Will there be a season? Will there be a shortened season? And anything that happens with to football affects the budgets of everyone in the athletic department because in so many athletic departments, football is a moneymaker, a revenue driver, and helps fund everyone. And then, oh, by the way, the, the other thing that, that you have to think about financially right now is the fact that your boosters didn't do so hot in the stock market either, and they have less money to be giving to, to the athletic department, to the schools, to, to whoever they're, they're, they're making financial commitments to. So you, you probably can't go to the, your boosters as much as you would like to for fundraising stuff. So all of that is, is the financial black cloud hanging over the, this decision. But ultimately, the athletic directors that make up the, the majority of the Division One Council looked past that and gave uh, the, the student athletes their, their eligibility back which I think is, is great. It's nothing short of a win for, for the players. There are a lot of complications and, and questions and, and things to be resolved. But basis, it just seems like this is you know, the right thing to do for the players. And oh, by the way, it's what every other collegiate governing body did in this instance, Division II, Division III, NAIA, and the NJCAA, which covers most junior colleges, all did this as well. None of them have the financial commitments of Division I. Division III doesn't even offer scholarships. So obviously, financial com- commitments to do that at all those other levels are less. But if Division I was going to be the one that didn't do it, it was going to be a very strange and I would say bad look. Uh, and, and they avoid that. They pass the, this legislation. And we now can can move on to to wondering what this all means for for college baseball and everything else. And there are a lot of those questions. But you know, Joe, did any anything there? Uh, are are you are you mostly in agreement? Are are you mostly not in agreement with what I I my, my thoughts on on the financial futures and, and and what that might have meant for the vote, which ultimately uh, obviously did not prove to be the swaying factor. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I I agree. Uh, really on all counts. I, I think um, it, it being the right thing to do. I think one of the things that um, you've seen most is, is I think there was always inevitably going to be a subset of, of, of folks who cried foul a little bit with this because um, someone was going to get squeezed if they, if they didn't provide any relief, which gosh, that would have been, uh, I, <laughs> that would have been hard to, to defend beyond just like, look, we, we just can't, uh, we can't afford this. We can't afford the, the, the logistical headaches, what have you. But, um, you know, that wouldn't have been they had just done seniors. It's, you know, the, the, the underclassmen. Um, and so now what you're seeing a decent amount of is, well, these incoming freshmen are basically coming into full rosters. And 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 I get the, how that would be frustrating for for an incoming freshman or I guess a, a junior college transfer or what have you. But um, 
you know, that's somebody was going to get squeezed here. And at least you're still getting the opportunity to compete. You're still going to get the opportunity, um, you know, to, to, to play your way onto the field. You know, it is going to create maybe a little bit of roster churn, but I think we are coming up on an off season when there will be unprecedented roster churn for a lot of different reasons. Um, most notably this situation. Um, so I think if there's going to be a season where maybe players are, are going to have to maybe uh, on the fly decide where they're going to land next, I think this would maybe be the off season to do it um, just because it's, it's going, there's going to be a lot of that going on. And I think if there's going to be unprecedented opportunity to do so without penalty, um, that's obviously for further down the road discussion, but I would much rather me speaking for myself, I would much rather the, the people getting squeezed here be um, just because everyone was given an opportunity to come back and make up for the season they lost versus the people getting squeezed being the players who lost the seasons. I think that was just the unavoidable way to do it. And you talk about the financial implications here, and that's certainly something that, um, you know, is just going to have to be dealt with. And it's not going to be a level playing field. I mean, let's be honest about this. And, and you know, college athletics right now are not a level playing field. So like anybody who is suggesting this is going to tilt the playing field and make it uneven is, has not been paying attention, but you know, there are a lot of programs in division one that are not fully funded uh, scholarship wise. Um, there are programs that are fully funded, but tenuously. So uh, there are programs that would give out, um, you know, 35 scholarships if they could, um, that, that they all run the gamut. Um, so, there's going to be situations where there are programs that can't afford to bring back players they would have wanted to bring back, and they're going to lose those players, whether it's them moving on to something else or moving on to another program or what have you. Um, I think there's going to be a decent amount of that. And anecdotally, in some conversations I've had with some mid and, and low major coaches is even before they knew what the eligibility relief situation was going to be, is there was um, pessimism is not the right word because I think coaches are also kind of eager to see their players move on to whatever it is they want to do next in life because, you know, they're helping develop these people as people as well. Um, so maybe, you know, being disappointed about it is not, not really the right way to put it, but um, that are anticipating that they might get, I don't know, half of their seniors back. Um, and that was before they knew what was exactly was, was going to happen. So, um, maybe knowing for sure they can come back, maybe boosts that number up a little bit, but um, there's going to be schools that can't, just don't have much for them. And that's just kind of the reality of the situation, even for those who, who do want to come back, which might be a lower number than you might assume. So again, that part was unavoidable, but I think I would, I think that is the better headache to deal with versus trying to, to deal with explaining to people, um, you know, why they lost a year and weren't able to get that, that eligibility back. Yeah, I would I would generally agree with that, and I would also add that um, you know there are programs that are at 11.7 right now, and and that you think of as you know playing in good baseball conferences even, or or at least solid baseball conferences that probably are not going to be given much of a chance to to go above that that they would their best hope is just that they would be allowed to fundraise for it. Uh, you know, so just because you're fully funded now, you know, it's not just the schools that aren't fully funded. Just because you're fully funded now doesn't mean that they're going to provide you additional funding to, to account for for this ruling. Um, before we go any further, I, I kind of want to get some of the, the just basics out there. I would encourage you to go to baseballamerica.com. I 
wrote a somewhat lengthy uh, explainer of all of this. So, but we we I do want to provide some ground like like overarching points uh, before we delve deeper in, into the discussion. So, the the Division One Council voted to give eligibility relief for all spring sports athletes for anyone that had eligibility remaining after the 2020 season, meaning anyone that wasn't a true senior or, or a redshirt senior, uh, their aid will be required to remain at the same level. So if you were on 50% and you're a sophomore, the school has to give you 50% next year. For the seniors this year, the NCAA has left it up to schools on a case-by-case -case basis to make a decision. So if you had a senior on your roster to bring them back, you do not have to give, if they were on 50%, you don't have to give them 50%. You can give them less than that. You can give them nothing. You have to give them, you know, they have the eligibility back, but they are not, you know, their, their scholarship money is not locked in, which is, uh, it, it's different because the, so the, the NCAA has a, a standard waiver that allows for eligibility to be returned for extenuated circumstances. Essentially, they're providing that as a blanket waiver to the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. The seniors have it, but they don't have the part that protects their scholarship uh, because, as as is noted, this is unprecedented. This is a, a difficult financial time. And so they're giving schools the option of, of how they go about this. Um, and, and so with that, though, those seniors will not count towards baseball's various counter rules. Uh, so the the 35 man roster max, the the 27 players on scholarship max, uh, you know, the, the seniors do not count to that. So they're kind of exempt next year. And I would guess that it'd be the case going forward as well when you have, um, you know, anyone that that. Ooh, any of this year's juniors in it still playing in 2022, I would guess that they would still be exempt. We'll obviously wait for their rulings and, and clarifications from the NCAA on that. Um, so that's kind of the baseline of this, is that next year baseball is going to be un, somewhat uncapped. Uh, the, the, the caps will still exist, but, but seniors won't count to them. And... You know, you you as a player are most likely going to be coming back on, on the exact same terms that you were in school this year, unless you were a senior, in which case things might be a little different. And this is important to note because, you know, there are you know, there are a lot of roster concerns uh, on a normal year, just given the fact that the coaches are trying to put together a roster of no more than 35 players, uh, dividing 11.7 scholarships up between 27 of those 35 players, and none of those 27 scholarship players are allowed to be on less than 25% of a scholarship. So you're already working with some difficult uh, math to make that happen, and now you have this other thing that you've never had to deal with before. So some coaches are going to have difficult decisions. The players themselves are going to have very difficult decisions because in the case of seniors, you know, it's it's almost April now. There are a lot of kids that already have lined up, you know, jobs or grad school for next year. 
you know, if you're graduating, you got to figure out what you're going to do next. And, you know, by this time in the spring, a lot of kids around the country have, you know, the next step lined up. So now you have to decide, can that be deferred? Do I want to say no to, to that opportunity to, to come back and play another year? And knowing that if you come back to play another year, you're going to have to take out more loans, you know, because you're not going to be getting a full scholarship. Um, it's baseball. Those, those aren't, those aren't really things that, that exist much. Uh, you know, so y- you're going to be incurring more, more debt to get started on a grad degree maybe, or, or maybe you were, uh, you, you still needed some time to finish. There, there are a lot of, um, you know, both baseball players and just general students that need five years to finish. So maybe you were, you were still going to finish, but maybe you were going to graduate in December and now you have to decide like, can I stick around for another semester or, or any of the rest of that? And, Oh, by the way, all those same terrible financial conditions that I mentioned for that athletic departments have to think about. I mean, you have to think about that if you're a, a player as well, taking out more loan money, because no one knows what the economy is going to look like when you ultimately do step into it. And will there be jobs there? And, and what will those jobs be paying relative to what you were expecting to make and, and all the rest of this? These are all just very difficult questions that everyone now is going through. And then to throw some more onto that, the draft announced its uh, its format. The MLB came to uh, an agreement with the Players Association last week, and that for the 2020 season, and that included what they were going to do with the draft. And you may have heard uh, that the, the draft is committed to to being held, but no no and no less than five rounds, but. It might just be five rounds. It might be up to 10. And in a five to 10 round draft, there's not going to be a whole lot of, of, of teams, you know, that are, are looking to, to give out or to, looking to take significant risks. Uh, they're just going to be less players drafted. And the undrafted free agents are now getting capped at $20,000. So if you're a senior in a five to 10 round draft, there aren't going to be many of you taken. And, in that case, your your signing bonus would be capped at twenty thousand dollars, which is maybe less than you were expecting, or or maybe that's about what you were expecting. Seniors are always have a, you know, a, a, a tough time in the draft without much in the way of leverage. So now they do have some leverage in the draft, but but they still aren't likely to get more than twenty thousand dollars. And I believe you know that 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 twenty thousand dollar max signing bonus for an undrafted free agent is probably going to be the same in 2021. So do you take $20,000 now? Do you take $20,000 next year? It's probably going to be the same either way you do it. Uh, you know, maybe if, if you've already graduated, is it worth delaying that? Or, or you know, th- these, these are, these are difficult questions for, for the seniors to answer. And, uh, you know, like Joe mentioned, there are a lot of coaches out there that are not expecting to get more than half their seniors back. And, you know, some coaches aren't expecting, you know, to get even close to that, I, I would say. So it's, uh, you know, regardless of whether they, they can offer the same scholarship money or not, you know, th- these seniors are already going to be in a tough, tough decision. And, I, you know, it, it's great that they have the opportunity to come back. But I'm going to be very curious to see how many kids take advantage of that extra year in 2021. Yeah, I talked to a, I was talking to a low major coach the other day, and the other thing, the other thing the draft kind of um, 
ends up doing is kind of robbing opportunities and, and not, um, you know, if you're talented enough, whether you get drafted or whether you sign as an undrafted free agent or you have to go to, you know, hold over in independent ball or what, whatever it is, like if, if you're, if you, for the most part, I mean, opportunities, you know, there are probably people walking this earth that were talented enough to be big leaguers, but, but never got the chance. So I'm not suggesting that everyone who's good enough gets that opportunity, but, you know, the largest swath of players do. But that being said, like there's just something about being drafted and getting that opportunity. And obviously the, the money aspect of it is, is, is important as well. I think when they, when, when the new draft rules were uh, announced, I mean, I think that was part of the early reaction. What were players, um, you know, our JJ Cooper had an interaction with Micah Johnson who said, I would have, you know, probably had to quit playing baseball if I wasn't able to sign for what I signed for. So, um, there's that piece. Um, but, but I talked to a low major coach the other day who's got a couple of guys who are um, certainly not going to be top five round guys, maybe would have been maybe would be top 10 round guys, but more likely are like 12 to 15. Um, and those guys are guys who, you know, would have been drafted in that area in all likelihood would have signed because that is, you know, anybody draft, not everybody, but most players drafted in the top 15 rounds of the college level are signing. And in general, they're signing. Um, and he was like, I, when, when I got that news, I, I just felt like throwing up because, you know, these are at the low major level. These are both kind of, um, you know, guys who have been developed and weren't big prospects coming into college and um, turned themselves into prospects. And that's a big deal for them to get drafted. Um, it's a big deal for the program to get those kids drafted um, because there's a marketing piece to it as well. Um, and that's just gone now. I mean, even if those kids sign uh, this year or next year as undrafted free agents, there's not that there's not there's no zing to it, if you will. Um, so that's kind of a piece here that that is 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 a part of it as well. That um, you know I hadn't really thought about. It's it's easy to think about. Oh wow, college baseball might be loaded uh, next year with with the players that are either coming back to to use that extra year or the freshmen who. You know, there's the other piece of this is that the freshmen, you know, who maybe were fringy type, you know, might sign, might come to school. Well, you know, most, if not all those kids are coming to school now. So that was my initial thought. And then it's like, well, they've got to figure the roster crunch. And it was just not something I'd considered just kind of the lost opportunity of some of those fringier college players that are now in a position to, to your point, do I sign for relatively small amount of money in the, in the grand scheme of things and get this started now do I kick it down the road for another year? Um, do I just play college ball until I can't anymore if it's someone who has multiple years of eligibility left? And so, yeah, there's um, but that that stuck out to me is just something I'd not really considered too much. Just kind of the, the, the loss of the ability to um, to be drafted and to celebrate that and, and to have that moment to say nothing of the opportunity and the money that comes along with it. Yeah. And, you know, that also affects juniors because you know there are a huge number of juniors like the the elite juniors spencer torkelson azalacy nick gonzalez those kids are going to get drafted and they're going to get paid they're not going to be dramatically affected by this there were last year 99 juniors drafted in the top five rounds of the draft those kids are all gone and it's fine for them for the most part like they're going to see their money they're going to get drafted there were 73 juniors drafted in rounds six to 10. Now caveat there is that 
teams spend a lot of time drafting seniors in rounds seven to ten or eight to ten uh, to save money on their bonus pools. They won't be doing that anymore. If it is ten rounds, you'll probably see more juniors drafted then. But there were 229 college juniors drafted after the tenth round. Not all of them signed, obviously, but those are all now players, essentially, that are not going to get that opportunity to be drafted and are going to have to decide between $20,000 and going back to school with two years of eligibility. Two years of eligibility means that you could come back into the draft next year and do fine for yourself and not have to worry about not having any negotiation leverage. But it also means that you're a year older and that you know MLB teams increasingly look at age as a part of their, their drafting uh, process. And older players are viewed on less favorably than, than younger players. And it also means that you have to take out more loans. It means that you incur the chance that you get injured. You know, there are all, all these things. And so now those kids who are mediocre um, in, in terms of the, or the, the, their chances of signing were already a little iffy. You know, they're, they're on the edge of that. Well, now they're going to have to decide, well, is it worth this risk? Is it not worth this risk? Is it worth this loan? Is it worth all the rest of this just to get into minor league baseball right now? And uh, that affects not only kids, uh, you know, at, at lower end schools that, you know, they might be, you know, an ace or, or, or a three hole hitter at, at some of those schools. It also affects schools at the higher end that, you know, those, those players tend to be the complementary players. Um, and, and what does that mean for them? What does that mean for the programs? You know, th- these are these are pretty unanswerable questions, and they're going to continue to be mostly unanswerable, you know, right up until Major League Baseball makes a final decision on how many rounds this draft is going to be. There was a lot of talk of a five-round draft last week. Uh, there was also a lot of optimism, if you talk to the right people, that they would still make it 10 rounds. It can't be less than five. MLB can unilaterally decide how many more rounds they want to they want to have. They, they don't have to get the Players Association to sign off on that now. So whether it's five or ten rounds, I mean, it, it, it will cause that that has a huge effect in college baseball. Just whether whether MLB decides to make it a five round draft or a ten round draft. So I mean, th- there's a lot going on there. Um, I guess the good news in all of this is that both of these things have been figured out now to a larger extent and coaches and players can now go about trying to plan for 2021. The, the one group here that, that in, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, people uh, on social media seem to be saying is wearing it or, or feeling for is the the incoming freshman and, and any junior college transfer uh, they're now walking into a situation that they did not anticipate. There are going to be more players back. There, there just are. And also, there are going to be more of them coming in. There are more newcomers because in a, in a five-round draft, we do not anticipate anyone past the elite high schoolers getting drafted. In a 10-round draft, even, you're not going to see that many more high schoolers taken. There will be some more taken, for sure. Uh, you know, the, the elite high schoolers are also still going to get taken. I, I would guess anyone in the top 30 high schoolers on our rankings is, you know, still probably not coming to college next year. Um, Some of them definitely will. That happens every year. But for the most part, those kids are all still gone. But anyone after that, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for for a major league team to draft them when they have so few slots, when there's so much question about when the minor leagues 
uh, will restart, what the minor leagues will look like when they restart. Of course, there's that plan to contract the minor leagues hanging out there. Um, there are also, if you uh, read any of J.J. Cooper's reporting uh, over the last couple of weeks, there are a lot of minor league teams that are wondering if they will still exist when, when it comes time to play again, depending on how long uh, you know, the season gets delayed. So there's, uh, th- there's just a lot going on there in, in leading major league teams away from drafting prep players. So that means that we expect a larger incoming crop of freshmen, talented freshmen than normal. I don't see major college programs not getting their talented freshmen on the field. Like they're going to do that. They're, they're going to figure out a way to, to get those kids on the field. Uh, but if you're not one of the elite kids there, uh, if you're not instantly one of the better players on your team, yeah, you're, you, there's a very decent chance that you will see less playing time than you were anticipating. And I mean, there's just really no way around that. There's no way around the, the fact that kids are going to have to take out more loans if they're going to want to stay uh, and, and continue to play for their team. I mean, there sometimes things are just bad. Uh, and, you know, the the pandemic is, is squeezing everyone in a way. And, and there's just no way to make this right, 100% right, for everyone uh you know it's it's just unfortunate and you know there's a lot of speculation that the junior college ranks are are going to profit from this and i have no doubt that they will but i will also suggest that um you know they're a dealing with their own potential roster crunch because all of their players can come back and then b uh players tend to want to go to school where they commit to school. They don't want to transfer. They don't want to flip commitments. They don't want to end up in junior college for the most part. They are excited about where they signed. And, you know, so a lot of them are still going to want to go. And maybe after their freshman year, they get frustrated with their lack of playing time and transfer. But I think next year you're still going to see the, the, you know, a, a significant number of them, probably the majority, probably the vast majority of, of the, the incoming class still do what they planned they were going to do. What they planned in some cases for the last three years, what they were going to do is, is go to the school and play baseball there. And a lot of them are just going to assume that they're going to be good enough to get on the field. And some of them will be, some of them won't be. And, and whether they're disappointed or not, then I guess we'll we'll see where where we go in, in 2022. But I, I think in 2021, I mean, you'll definitely see more more talent in junior college. Like that will definitely happen. Just like you'll see more talent in Division Two and, and in Division One and NAI at every level. But I, I do think that a lot of these kids are just going to uphold their commitments because that's what they're excited about doing. They're excited about playing Division One college baseball. That go read any of their commitment tweets. They're all very, very excited about it. And it's not just a show. Uh, you know, you, you might dismiss it in, in, in a moment of cynicism. But for those kids, that's a really big deal. Yeah, and I think it. I think that's um, it's a good point. And I think it, that kind of leads into what, what I was going to say is that I think we are. Uh, one thing you and I have both said over and over again in this podcast and in general over the last several days is that um, this is all going to have to play out over the span of weeks and months. I mean, we 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 have answers now in many ways, but that's just opened up more different questions. And so, you know, it's going to be the question of, OK, most kids, I think you're right, are, are eager to just honor the commitment they had and just stick to their plan. But you are going to see 
some movement in that way. There's the the draft is is going to happen, and the players that that you know are in position to to sign are going to sign, and that's going to leave some some players in the lurch. And now they've got to make a decision about what they want to do. There will be some opportunity for you know, if you're a talented senior and you are probably going to be what they call a senior sign, like the $20,000 undrafted free agent thing is probably not uh, too bad of a deal. I mean, that's probably what you were looking at anyway in a lot of cases. But um, but there's still a scenario of that I've thought about, which is, you know, a guy who is, you know, maybe was going to be a senior sign, was maybe a late round pick who now is is clearly not going to get drafted and is probably not going to be at the top of anyone's list to be an undrafted free agent signing, but might get an opportunity if, if the right team comes along. And now he's looking at this freshman class coming in that's you know particularly loaded this year and including guys at his position. And so, you know, he's going up right to, you know, whatever the deadline ends up being to sign and, is balancing a $20,000 undrafted free agent offer. So his career is hanging kind of in the balance. You know, a coach has a roster crunch situation kind of hanging in the balance and then playing time for those freshmen who are now coming to campus is kind of hanging in the balance based a little bit on what that player decides to do. So, you know, signing deadline has not necessarily been full of, of, of drama more years than not. I mean, there, there are some years where there's a little bit, or maybe we're waiting on one or two players, but for the most part, things get sorted fairly in a, in a fairly orderly fashion. I think this is going to be a year where maybe that's that's uh, maybe the case with the players who did get drafted. But among the players who are still trying to make decisions, whether it's to sign or to move on with their lives, I think there's just we're not going to know what these teams look like until very late in the process. And I think there are there are coaches who, you know, if you were to inject them with truth serum, would just say, you know what, can you please just wake me up in like October and tell me who's on my roster <laughs> and then I will deal with it then because. I mean, there's just gonna they're gonna be getting it from all different directions trying to figure this all out. I kind of think the draft might be a little different than that. I think it might be it's all over within like two days because there are so few rounds that teams are gonna really be able to uh, to script out what they're trying to do in a better way. They're really gonna hone in on signability. They're not gonna draft anyone that. You know, they they have any concerns about, I wouldn't think, because they just don't have enough picks to, to, you know, if Nic- if Nicola Dolo doesn't sign on you, uh, you know, it, it's going to be really, really bad if you only draft five players. Or, or, you know, I guess he was a comp pick. If, you, if your draft was only supposed to be six players anyway and you didn't get one of them, like, that's going to be a problem. So, like, anyone that, that any team feels any hesitancy towards, Towards signing, like I don't think they're getting drafted. Yeah, yeah. So from the draft, yeah, from a draft standpoint, yes. But well, no. But I, I also think, though, from the the free agent standpoint, the you know what happens after the NFL draft? Guys sign undrafted contracts like instantly once yeah, the seventh round is over. I think that's going to happen. I mean, there will be some guys that, that drag it out and that can afford to drag it out, but there are going to be a lot of guys that are just uh, you know jumping at whatever the the opportunity is right away because no one knows how many opportunities there will be. I, I, there, there's no precedence for that. I'm just kind of uh, extrapolating from what I see in the NFL. But in the NFL, as soon as it ends, guys go just rapid fire, not drafted free agent deals or invites to, to camps or, or whatever. Like that seems to be the way they do it. So my guess is that's how it would happen in, in, in baseball. But maybe, it, especially if the season is, continues to be delayed that long, maybe there won't be 
that kind of pressure exerted on them from uh, from the team perspective. So, Joe, we've uh, we've hit on kind of the draft uh, implications here. We've hit on a lot of the the immediate financial implications. Uh, you know, th there there is also you know the kind of the human side of this. I, I'm excited to to hear from more players uh, in, in the coming days and, and, and weeks. It, but you, you did uh, and more coaches as well. I mean, you, you spend a lot of time. Uh, kind of trying to find reaction from from people around the game. I mean, was there? I, I guess the overwhelming theme probably was just that they were happy that it was done right by the kids, and we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Is is, is that kind of the general sense, or did anyone in particular's uh, re reaction jump out to you at all? No, it was just overwhelmingly positive. I think part of that is that is the, um, and I'm not suggesting this was was coach's first thought, but I think that's also just the the simplest thing to express because I think people understand in their heart of hearts, this was the right thing to do. So I think that's just the easiest reaction is, is to just be happy this happened and, and move on from there. Um, but I do think it's also the perspective of like these coaches know what they're in for and that it is not going to be easy to figure out what their roster situation is. And there's, they've got to figure out the aid piece um, on on top of just the how do you fit all these puzzle pieces onto a roster and put nine guys in a lineup piece, um, they'll have to deal with further down the line. But um, I think they have the perspective of like, look, we just had to do right by these kids. And I'm sure some of that comes from, you know, they've probably spent a lot of time um, because for, for no other reason, for lack of other things to do. They've spent a lot of time just talking to their kids the last couple of weeks on the phone or on the I've seen that on Twitter, the, the images of the Zoom chats with like nine million windows open from the, the entire team logged on. So um, they've just spent a lot of time kind of probably feeling out their kids and, and asking how they're doing and asking how they're feeling about the situation. And so I think they're happy for them, if nothing else, even if they know it's going to make more work for them. Um, I, I really haven't seen, um, not that I was looking for it necessarily, but I really haven't seen any any dissent, um, for, at least from sitting head coaches or, or players, um, about the decision. Um, maybe that comes with time, and it's a more nuanced, a more nuanced take. I, I think there also, you know, there there wasn't as much to be honest. There wasn't as much immediate reaction, at least on social, um, as I maybe expected. And I think part of that was, to your point, the decision came a little after six Eastern, so people were digesting this news right around the time that you know they're trying to figure out dinner with their family and, and all that stuff. And so I think those real life things kind of play into it. But I also think um, they are trying to take a minute, you know, and I'm sure they, the news kind of immediately launched, you know, coaches and administrators into meetings and calls and discussions and, and kind of trying to figure out what this means for the immediate term. But I also think they're kind of trying to back away for a second because there are some, um, there there's needs to be some consideration about what this means for your team and your, and your program and your school and your players um, before you kind of go and make a statement on it. So I think there was just some measurement being done about let's let this breathe for a few minutes um, before I make a public statement on it. Not that saying, you know, happy to see players will get the year back is a controversial statement, but I think there was some exercising of caution just to make sure they don't get out in front of something before they really understand exactly what it's bringing to the table. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of confusion still. Um, you know, that baseball has these very complex roster management rules that most other sports don't have. You know, the NCAA in their their official release even had to note that 
um, you know, the, the baseball is the only sport in the in, among sprint sports that has uh, a, a roster cap on it. And so they had specifically that they were lifting that, um, you know, that every pretty much every I think every sprint sport is, uh, um, you know, is, isn't headcount so that they're all they're all working on partial scholarships. But but baseball has more unique roster rules than, than everyone else. And so parsing through all of that, parsing through what this means for junior college kids who are transferring, parsing through what this means exactly for for you know, your, your institution is going to take some time. So I, I do think everyone is still looking for uh, some added clarity that, that will only come uh, from compliance staff reviewing the exact wording of this ruling and uh, what that means then for their institution and then uh, athletic directors determining their course of action in terms of uh, additional fundraising or no fundraising or, or whatever they have to do to, uh, to achieve all of this. And, and, uh, you know, build up in all of that is the fact that, um, you know, this is this is a relatively minor thing in, in all of this, but the Ivy League doesn't allow for grad students to play. So if you graduate from an Ivy League school, even if you have another year of eligibility, uh, and this is not uncommon there, I think redshirting is a little more common up in the Ivy League, uh, those kids have to leave if they want to keep playing. So we don't know what the Ivy League is going to do for this. If I had to guess, I, like my my bet would be that they don't waive their rule, um, but you know we'll see. If they don't, that means that basically every Ivy League senior, if they haven't graduated or if they have graduated, is uh, is coming up as a grad transfer. And we've seen some schools uh, like Duke and Wake Forest particularly, uh, you know, really take advantage of of Ivy League grad transfers. So I don't know. Is every senior in the Ivy League effectively going to you know come on the market? Uh, that remains to be seen, and if it does, it's going to be kind of crazy. I, I do think there's, you know, Joe alluded to it earlier. There's going to be a lot of player movement. Um, we're going to see where the, you know, the Division One Council still has to rule on the um, the change in transfer rules that that would give every every player a one-time transfer exemption, allowing them to play right away, provided that they meet some um, academic criteria. I believe was the the last I saw that proposal. Uh, we expect a word on that sometime later this spring, early summer. If uh, if that passes and goes into effect, there's going to be a ton of player movement. But I also think there might just be some going on, period. Uh, if for no other reason, then again, a lot of people's finances uh, you know, are, are in a different place. The, the world's in a different place. You might not be as excited about traveling across the country to go to school as, as you once were. Or, or you might just be as excited, but... Uh, you know, be crunching some numbers and realize that that might not really be an ideal situation for you. So I, I think there's going to be some unfortunate movement because of that. I think there's going to be some movement because of, uh, you know, players looking around and evaluating playing time potential. And I think there's going to be some movement just based on, on grad transfers and seniors, um, you know, looking for a place where, where they can continue their careers if, if they, they can't or if they aren't getting um, an opportunity to continue on scholarship at, at their current institution. So it, it, it could be a pretty hectic summer, which is um, kind of crazy to think about amidst all of this. But uh, there, there is a lot still to, to be examined from this, to be explained from this. And, and um, you know, I, again, I, a lot of this, I don't expect an answer in the coming days. I, this is a, a weeks or months kind of thing. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are 
going to be very eager to, to find out what their specific school is doing, um, you know, from obviously the players and their parents, but, but also just from a fan perspective. And I don't know how quickly anyone is going to be able to make those kinds of decisions just because of how complex that this whole thing is. Here's a, here's a business idea. It's a, it's a baseball America dating app, but it, it's, it's not dating. It's for like players and coaches to match up when all this <laughs> roster churn happens. So like, you know, the coaches can log onto the app and it's like, I'm really looking for like a, like a lefty with velo to add to the bullpen. And it's like, okay, they're and they swipe, you know, they, they swipe for players. They don't want us like righty, righty, righty. Oh, lefty. Well, he's, you know, not really the, the profile I'm looking for is to swipe. And it's like, Oh, here we go. Grad transfer, good numbers last year. You know, let me call this coach and learn a little bit about him. And let me, okay, then I'll swipe. Whichever direction you're supposed to swipe for the ones you, you want, I, I'm not familiar with. That's uh, right. Okay, yeah, so you're swiping right on, uh, you know, the, the picture you want. And it's like, oh, you've been connected. And then you can, like, talk to talk so, to that So player. it's the transfer portal, but as a dating app. It's more interact. Yeah, like, it's more interactive than that. Yeah. Like, the transfer portal is Instead just... Instead of just being a spreadsheet, it's... it's this uh this the swiping interactive component yeah the transfer portal lacks a human touch so like it just you know it'd be able it'd be nice to have that interactive piece there for sure so that's uh maybe we should nobody steal that idea that's i by saying it <laughs> on know, this honestly, podcast I if the ncaa stole that idea uh you know i, I would be down for that <laughs> yeah but get nobody it up first yeah that's right nobody else get your grubby hands off that idea <laughs> So we're, uh, we're, like I said, there's a lot still to unpack from this. We're going to be trying to unpack this uh, for, for some time now over at BaseballAmerica.com. So I'd encourage you to, uh, to check out uh, what we have there, continue to look for, for pieces uh, from us as, as we, we continue to explore the ramifications of this decision on college baseball. Uh, we are, I, this, this was the biggest news of Monday. It's the biggest news for, for some time likely in college baseball. Uh, but there is, it, while it sucked a lot of the, the other oxygen out of the room, there is other stuff going on in, at baseballamerica.com for you guys to, to read during this time. Yesterday, uh, Joe and I put together, mostly Joe, put together a list of the top 25 pitching performances in college baseball in 2020. Top by spoiler alert, uh, Oklahoma's Dane Acker throwing a no hitter against LSU at the Shriners College Classic. Uh, so you can check that out. Next week we will have the top 25 hitting performances of 2020. So uh, every Monday we're we're going to have a top 25 of some kind. Uh, you can can look for that over at, at baseballamerica.com. We also are uh, back on a twice a week podcasting schedule for now. We'll see how long we keep this up. I, I feel pretty confident about it, though. Our pods have been running kind of long anyway, uh, so I feel like Joe and I have enough content to, to come at you twice a week, just like we were uh, all, all spring long uh, up until the, the shutdown. So we're, we're going to be doing that, and our next podcast, which is slated to go online on Friday, is another one in our series of re-watching uh, classic college games that are available on YouTube. And Joe, why don't you remind, remind our listeners what we are watching this week? We're watching the 2018 Oxford Regional Final uh, between uh, host, the Ole Miss Rebels, and the uh, Tennessee Tech Golden Eagles. Um Obviously, again, I, I mentioned this last podcast. Obviously, this comes with a trigger warning for Ole Miss fans. Um, 
you know, obviously uh, you know what what happened there. Um, but a great story with Tennessee Tech and an all-time great um, underdog team uh, that really rose above that. And so we will watch uh, their their crowning achievement, which was winning uh, winning that regional. And uh, we're going to talk to Matt Braga, now the head coach at Rice, then the head coach Tennessee Tech. We're, we're going to talk to him. Uh, all about a, a fun team with a group of fun players, uh, many of whom are now off playing. And uh, that was a really talented team. That's the other thing that it was not a plucky underdog team that was uh, just getting it done with a bunch of guys who were, uh, you know, not going to play any pro baseball. They're, they put a bunch of guys in a pro ball. So it uh, should be a fun watch. I, I have not. I watched the game the day of. I have not gone back and, and watched it again. So I'm looking forward to doing so. Yeah, I also did not watch the game. I've never watched the game. Uh, I was at the Gainesville Regional that year and otherwise preoccupied while while that game was taking place because uh, Gainesville went when its full uh, allotment of games that year as well. So I was I was busy, uh, but I'm looking forward to watching this one. Uh, I believe I'm going to do it Wednesday afternoon, and I'll probably tweet about it. So you can join me over at Ted Cahill then. Uh, you can find the game on YouTube or in Joe's um, really, uh, you know, very, um, I'm searching for the word right now, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a necessary piece in your life, really, at this point. The, the 10, 10 of the, uh, the best games you can watch on YouTube right now, you can find that over at BaseballAmerica.com, and, and this one is, is a part of that, and, and the YouTube link is there. Um, I imagine Joe will, uh, you know, will be joining me. Uh, uh, at a distance, socially appropriate distance. Obviously, Joe will be watching from his house. I'll be watching from from my apartment. But we can, uh, we'll, we'll probably both be on on Twitter uh, talking about the game a little bit. I am at Ted Kale. Joe is at Joe Healy, BA. So if you uh, want to join us, probably going to happen on Wednesday afternoon, um, or you can watch at your own time. If you have anything that you guys want us to talk about regarding that game or the Tennessee Tech team uh, as a whole. Uh, with Matt Braga, uh, definitely reach out. Let us know on Twitter um, or uh, in the in the podcast comp, uh, re- review reviews. There it is, podcast reviews. Uh, you know, let us know. We'll we'll uh, we'll try and work in uh, your guys' thoughts a- as you have them, uh, along with our uh, our analysis and, and and Coach Braga's thoughts as well. So with that, we uh, we'll be back here on Friday talking about that Oxford regional game from 2018 and anything else that that might come up between now and then. uh, Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us. So if you subscribe, rate, review, we appreciate all of that. Uh, We are committed to, like I said, continuing with two podcasts a week. Uh, you know, through the rest of the spring. So make sure you're, you are subscribed and, and that those podcasts will come straight to your phone as they happen. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Make sure you continue to check out the content throughout the week over at baseballamerica.com. There's a lot of great stuff there. We also released the top 300 draft prospects last week, Carlos Colazzo, uh, doing the majority of the work on that one. So uh, if you're interested in the draft at all, that's uh, that's definitely a must read as well. We will talk to you on Friday. I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Joe for joining me. And we will see you with some 2018 Oxford Regional Talk this Friday.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.